Have you ever taken that challenge to pat your head and rub your tummy at the same time? Now, you notice I didn't do both of those. I, I can't. I, I can't. I either end up patting both or rubbing both. I, I, I just, my mind doesn't work that way. I, I have to kind of be focused on one thing and get that done and move on uh, to the next. Paul, on the other hand, the Apostle Paul, was an excellent multitasker. He was a missionary. He was a writer. He was a preacher. He was a teacher. He was a tent mate. He was a prison inmate and much, much more. Some of those all at the very same time. He shows that gift in the passage that we started looking at last week. Now, you remember last week we looked at the conclusion of chapter 5 here in Paul's letter to the Ephesians and then the beginning of, of chapter 6, where Paul gives some instructions for families. We took a look at, at those instructions last week and those wonderful truths that God gave us for the families. But within those instructions for the family, Paul also describes the relationship between Jesus and the church. And he reveals what he calls a profound mystery that is revealed in our Lord. We're going to begin this morning looking here in Ephesians chapter 5. We'll skip down to verse 25 and then we'll come back and, and pick up some of the, the earlier verses in just a moment. Verse 25 says, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing through the water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. This morning we're going to discover just how much Jesus loves the church. These pas this passage and several others throughout the scripture present Christ in the way that we recognize him to be, but, but sometimes we forget, so it's, it's good to be reminded. Christ is the head of the church. Now, as we saw uh, last week, Paul was describing a, a principle of mutual submission in our relationship. It begins in verse 21 where he says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And then Paul applies that principle to the relationship with other people, to the relationship between husband and wife, to the relationship between parent and child. And we didn't get all the way through the passage, but he also uh, compares that relationship between employers and employees. We didn't quite make it that far, but, but he uses this this idea of, of submitting yourself to others, of making somebody else more important than you. We looked at that uh, last week. But again, within those descriptions of the family and our other human relationships, Paul gives some extraordinary descriptions of the relationship between our Savior and and the church. Listen again back in verse 22 that we read last week. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Now, we saw last week what that means for wives, and then the following verse that I read just a moment ago, what that meant for husbands. So I'm not going to back and, and, and redo all of that. If you missed that, you can listen to it on, online and hear what we talked about with husbands and wives, uh, wives uh, last week. 
But there's some extraordinary truth in here for all of us as the church. Now, first of all, the fact that Christ uses the relationship between a husband and wife to illustrate the relationship between Christ and the church reveals how highly God values the marriage relationship. That's significant. The relationship in our marriage should be a visible illustration of the church's relationship with Christ. That's extraordinary. Or put another way, when a non-believer looks at your marriage, we should be striving to give them a picture of Christ's love for the church. That's a high bar, and one that we will never in this world perfectly attain, but that's one we always should be seeking to reach. Now, in several passages, the Scripture uses our physical body to represent the church's relationship to Christ, and and this is one of those passages. We are described as the church as being the body of Christ. That appears in several passages, especially in Paul's letters. It's in Romans chapter 12. It's in Ephesians chapter 3, chapter 4, here in chapter 5. It's in Colossians chapter 1. It's in Colossians chapter 3 as well. That image is expanded in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, where Paul describes all the different parts of the body working together. There's that amazing verse, 1 Corinthians 12, 27, where it says, Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. Now here in Ephesians chapter 5, Paul states this same truth with the conclusion that the church submits to the head, to Christ, in the same way that the body submits to To our head. And that only makes sense, especially when you pair it with what Paul writes in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 12. He, He gives kind of a humorous little illustration here in verse 14. He says, Now the body is is not made up of one part, but of many. If the foot should say, Because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body. It would not, for that reason, cease to be a part of the body. And if the ear should say, Because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body. It would not, for that reason, cease to be a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has arranged the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. Folks, we all need each other. That's one of the significant things about the church. We are individually gifted with marvelous things that God has specifically crafted us to be able to do. Now, the problem for us is we're not gifted with every gift. But that's why the church is so important to us. We need each other. There's some things that we do very well. There's some things that we don't do 
very well. So we need someone else who does those things very well, but who also needs us with the gifts and talents that God has given to us that they don't have. And all of that is to be coordinated by the head. In the same way, a body whose parts are not working in concert with the brain, that's a problem. In fact, that's going to be a train wreck. And so the church should live in concert with Christ. Our focus as a church, as National Heights Baptist Church, should always be to collectively, together, be listening to Christ's command and seeking to individually obey those commands and together living out God's purpose. That's what we do. That's who the church is. That's what we're all about. And when you think about it, it only makes sense. Paul's description in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 makes this really, really clear. He, he presents in this kind of humorous little story a body that's just totally out of whack. The foot all of a sudden decides that it wants to be a hand. The ear has decided that the eyes are getting way too much attention. And then the eye has declared to the hand, hey buddy, we don't need you anymore. Can you imagine what that would be like? It's kind of like how I feel in the morning sometimes when I wake up. And everything doesn't quite wake up all at the same time. You ever had that experience when you get up and you're pulling out of bed and you're ready to start your day and you just get that old foot out of there and it's asleep? <laughs> and when it hits the floor, so do you. <laughs> Here's the thing. We need the church. This isn't just a convenience. We didn't just gather together today because, oh, that'd be a nice thing to do on a Sunday morning. Now, it is a nice thing to do on a Sunday morning, but that's not the main reason we're here. We're here because we need this. Now, don't, don't misunderstand me. I'm not talking about salvation here, okay? You are saved 100% through the grace of Jesus Christ alone. The church cannot do that for you. That is personally between you and your Savior. Each individual has to come to that point in their life where they personally admit their need, that they have sinned, that they've departed from God's command, that they need the forgiveness that only Jesus Christ can give, and then receive that forgiveness personally themselves, trusting Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. He's the only one that can save us. I'm not talking about salvation here. But folks, we need the church. The church is not going to get us to heaven. But in the time that God leaves us here on this earth, we need the church. We need each other. And as a church, we absolutely must 
recognize our need for the head. For Christ. Again, we're not here just for convenience. We recognize that. You know that. We're, we're here for a much greater reason than just this to be a nice thing to do to see our friends and say howdy on a Sunday morning. Well, you know that. And you recognize something else as well. You recognize we're here to worship Jesus Christ. We're here to lift up His name. We're here to focus our lives and our thoughts, our deeds, our songs, everything we're about. We're here to focus on Him because we recognize we are the bride of Christ. He designed us for this. And the good news is Christ provides us with exactly what it is we need. And we can rejoice in what Christ has done for the church. Now, Paul continues in his description of of the family. But again, within that, he adds an extraordinary description of what Jesus has done for the church. Listen to what he writes in verse 25. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy cleansing her by the washing with the water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. The word that Paul uses here for love, when he, when he describes how Christ loved the church, it, it, the Greek language has several different words that we translate with the same English word. It's the English word love. And yet they have a, a, a variance of meanings. And, and there are different levels of love. There's a, a friendship that's just kind of an acquaintance love. And there's a word for that. There's, there's a friendship that's a, a, fr- uh, that's a love that's a, a love between two friends. It's, it's deeper than just an acquaintance. It's much more than that. And there's a different word for that. There are different words. But this word that Paul uses is the highest form of love. It's an unselfish, sacrificing love that strives for the absolute best. And Christ has done that for for us. He's done that for His church. He's given up His own life for us. And through His sacrifice, something extraordinary has happened to us. We've been made holy. Paul describes how Christ cleanses her by the washing of the water through the Word. Scholars differ on exactly how they interpret that part of this passage. There there are some... Scholars that think this may have referred to a ritual that was performed during Jewish weddings in the New Testament era. There are others that think this may be a reference to baptism, the, the, the believer's symbolic representation to the world of their following Jesus Christ as Savior. But either way, Christ through His 
atoning sacrifice has done for us what we could not do for ourselves. Christ has not just made us good enough. He has not simply made us presentable. You know how your mom used to do that when your calic was sticking up and you were going to church and she tried to look at them. So you got to look at least a little presentable before everybody. No. Jesus hadn't just made us look presentable. He has made us radiant. Without stain. Without wrinkle or blemish. Holy and blameless. This is no job done halfway. Jesus spares no expense, no detail. And that's what Jesus did for you. That's what Jesus has done for the church. My mom taught me to write thank you notes. I bet some of your moms did too. (laughs) Most moms do. And I try to follow through with that instruction, although sometimes I fall short. But I do always want to be grateful. But I'll admit, some gifts are a little harder to be thankful for than others. (laughs) You know what I'm talking about, like those green socks you got for Christmas. That fruit fruit cake somebody re-gifted you last year. That, That penny that somebody gave you on the elevator. That actually happened to me one time. This guy turned around and gave me a penny. I guess I looked like I needed the money or something. I don't know. But then, sometimes there are those gifts that take your breath away. You can't believe somebody did that for you. Like those stories that we see oftentimes on the news of of someone who donates one of their kidneys to a friend. A friend who is dying, a friend who is sick, a friend who couldn't survive. And now they've made that extraordinary sacrifice of literally giving part of their body to them so that they can be well. Wow. Now that's something a thank you note's just not going to be enough. (laughs) Folks, what Jesus has done for us. What Jesus has done for His church goes even farther than that. Out of the blue, beyond anything we ever could have hoped for, far over and above anything we deserve or anything we could have accomplished on our own, Jesus steps in and takes our place. It's no feeble gesture. His sacrifice on the cross washes us, cleanses us, makes us radiant without stain, without wrinkle or blemish, holy and blameless. Folks, we have reason to be happy today. 
We have reason to gather together this morning. We have reason to sing, whether it's a hymn or a praise song or a gospel tune. We have reason to smile. We have reason to rejoice. And we have reason to give thanks and then some. To give praise. We have a message to share. And we have a voice to raise. It's what Paul calls in verse 32 a profound mystery. Paul could not fathom how Jesus would do this for him. For a man who had dedicated his life to torturing and killing people who were guilty of nothing but loving Jesus. But Christ loved even Paul so much that his love washed over him like an ocean wave. That was true for Paul true for you too. Jesus' love washes over us. That's why we're here this morning. That's why we gather today as His church, seeking to be His people, seeking to use those gifts and talents that He has given us, coordinated together by our head, by Christ our Lord. We have reason. To praise Him today. Heavenly Father, this is a profound mystery. We cannot begin to explain this. We cannot begin to comprehend how in Your extraordinary grace, You loved us. We've done nothing to deserve it. We've done nothing to merit it, and yet you did it. And so, God, we gather in this place this morning as your church. Help us realize how significant this is. How important this is. That with every note that we sing, we are praising the Savior. That with every word out of your scripture that we read, we are reading the thoughts of our Creator. And as we go from this place united together with every work of service that we do, we're serving the King. God, we thank you for loving us. We could never thank you enough for what you have done. Help us never forget how significant what we do as a church truly is. For it is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.